Welcome to Shortcuts. Have you ever heard a sound on a recording and weren't sure if the sound was intentional? That's what happened to the Listening Queerly research team when they were listening to a recording of the Ultimatum Festival in the Alan Lord Audio Collection. First of all, Listening Queerly is a team of student researchers based at Concordia University. Ella Jandosal, Misha Solomon, Sofia Melioka, and Rowan Nancaro. This team works under the direction of Dr. Mathieu Aubin as part of a Shirk-funded Insight Development Grant. They've been working with a series of recordings in the Alan Lord Audio Collection, a collection that's part of Spoken Web's audio collections. In 1985, Alan Lord helped to organize the Ultimatum Festival in Montreal, and recordings from that festival are what the Listening Queerly team were listening to when they heard a sound. A sound that sounded almost like a heartbeat, or was it a technical glitch in the recording? Could they be sure? What were they hearing? What's that noise? Whatever it was, the reality was that the sound, the noise, had an impact. They couldn't stop thinking about it, and they talked about it together. What results from those conversations is this episode of Shortcuts. Here is a very special episode of Shortcuts, produced by Ella Jandosal, taking you on a deep dive into the sound of one memorable recording. In 1985, Alan Lord, with help from a team of close friends, organized Ultimatum, a literary festival that took place from May 1st to 5th at Les Foufounes Electriques, a punk bar that exists to this day in downtown Montreal. Ultimatum was advertised as an event presenting both a new generation of urban poets who utilize video, computers, electropop music, and performance art as an integral part of their mode of expression, and also traditional poets whose work reflects the urgency and electricity of living in a modern urban environment. Lord invited both Anglophone and Francophone poets from Montreal, as well as poets from Vancouver, Toronto, Quebec City, and New York. The event was recorded on tapes, which have since been digitized at Concordia University. The tape we are listening to today is from the 2nd of May. Hi, my name is Matsu Bain. I'm the primary investigator for the Lesson to Queerly Cross-Generational Divides Project, and I'm also a research affiliate in the English Department at Concordia University. My name is Ella Jendosal, and I am the project manager for the Listening Queerly Across Generational Divides Project. I am also finishing my first year in the master's program at Concordia University in English Literature. Hi, my name is Sofia Malioka. I'm a research assistant on the Spoken Web affiliate project called Listening Queerly Across Generational Divides. I'm also finishing my second year in the master's program here at Concordia University in English Literature. Hi, my name is Misha Solomon. I'm a queer listener on the Listening Queerly Across Generational Divides project. I'm also finishing my first year as a master's student in the English Literature program here at Concordia uh, with a creative poetry thesis. As part of our research, we listened to the ultimatum recordings 
and encountered a tape that included a mysterious heartbeat sound on some of the tracks. The poet speaking on those tracks was unannounced, so we were not sure who it might be. At the time, our team included Rowan Nancaro, who has since left, but who did much of the listening and contributed to our initial discussions about these tapes. With real trees around us, why do we want painted trees? What does art give us that life does not? We are us many months ago. Misha, you're actually part of the team already, even though it's the 8th of December, 2022. And we're having a conversation, as we do on a Monday morning, about this tape. Yeah, the weird heartbeat noise is really interesting to me because I can't tell if it's intentional or not. And it's doing really interesting things with the poet's voice. It's sort of, I feel like sometimes rhythmically it's aligning with the rhythm of the poem and sometimes it's not. And I find that super interesting. But then we get this like four minutes of just heartbeat and I find it hard to imagine that that was intentionally just sort of recorded and there's the fact that the sound is different so I'm thinking maybe there's something like that happened to the tape itself um that like when we play the tape to digitize it is making this noise when I found it when I came across it I was almost not going to present it at all um the only reason why I decided to present it was because I thought it was a broken tape and I thought it would be interesting to talk about having like what a broken tape might look like in this collection Um, So my initial impression of it was either it got damaged, you know, the tape itself was damaged and they recorded on something that was already damaged and that's what happened. Or it was, like you said, kind of some way affected when they were digitizing it. Um, And then other ideas I have is that because the heartbeat sound was happening on other tapes too, whether it was related to like someone tapping on a microphone or some kind of like something happening in the room, like unrelated to the technology, but close enough that I was getting caught. Um, and then, you know, because of that shift to the, the static background noise, it kind of made that whole committing to one version of this, what the heartbeat was really difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, based on the pattern and the inconsistency of the noise, I think we can be relatively sure that the heartbeat sound isn't actually a heartbeat. But it is difficult for me to separate the sound from being a heartbeat. That's what it feels like somehow. Um, if I try to think about it logically while listening, it, it, I suppose it could be a metronome, but it does lack the regular rhythm. Um, or, as others have said, something accidental, microphone feedback or a mechanical issue with the recording device. But I keep going back to the idea that there is something so corporeal about the sound, something like akin to listening to a whale from inside of a whale's belly. Hmm. I like that irregularity that you're pointing to. I hear this and to me also, I don't know what it is that we're like thinking, like at the, like a, is it a stethoscope? There we go. Um, You know, listening for someone's heartbeat is it's what it sounds like to me. Um, And, it's interesting that we have a similar experience of listening to that and identifying that as that kind of sound. But like Misha just said, it's irregular. So if somebody's heartbeat is indeed that, I don't know that that's probably the best thing for them. Um, So 
for me, I, th- you know, I'm thinking about this and listening to this and it seems like it could be intentional. It could be not intentional. Um, sometimes because of rhythm of like, I'm thinking of like tape moving around and, and maybe bumping that sort of like irregularity also could be a technological um, sound that's being emitted. I mean, I um, measured the intervals of the heartbeats and I do have to say like, I hope this is a whale and not a human because if it's a whale, I mean, I'd have to find out what a regular whale heart rhythm is. But for a human like this, this human's in a coma or something. I don't know. It's way too slow for a human. And it is a little bit irregular. There will be moments where like sort of slowly gets a bit faster and then it starts getting like a lot faster right before it sort of cuts and then you have applause. Um, sort of having done that, I'm rethinking my thought about it being just like the tape sort of spinning and that sort of circularity doesn't really make sense with the way that it's shifting around. Like if it was just slight shifts, it would be like, okay, well, tape can't be like at the perfectly same speed all the time. But I think especially that bit where it really speeds up, I'm thinking, okay, maybe it's intentional if it's doing this. But in that case, why are there all of these silent moments with just heartbeat? None of us know much about how sound recording works, so in an attempt to find some answers, we consulted James Healy, the AMP Lab coordinator at Concordia University. The next one was like the metronome, or what I would describe as a metronome. It could have been like in one of those old school drum machines that were made to like accompany an organ in church, because um, it was just like a simple like, I think it was like, bum, 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 yeah, pattern. But, like, the timbre reminded me of, like, a Roland 808 a lot, which made me think that it's maybe the same chip as the Roland 808, but, like, a little earlier, because I don't think that they're using, like, sort of, like, the staple hip-hop drum machine in the background. I think they'd just be using, like, a fairly rudimentary one, um, because they just need it for, like, a fairly simple task. James answered the question we had been laboring over pretty quickly but he had more to say about these recordings. There was uh, a really high noise floor in one of them, mm-hmm. uh, and then the voice was also saturating sooner than it was in the others, which made me think that it was a different time altogether because they had basically set up a whole bunch of new equipment. Because it cruises, hovering, long-snouted crocodilian. Because it is primitive. Thank you. wrong with this piercing governments have been lobbied more effectively by proponents of the arms race than the advocates of the peace movement and what i mean by a new noise floor is there's like a and it was closer to the level of the voice than it was in the other uh pieces of audio um yeah i think the next thing that interested me like in audio to audio and knowing that maybe it was like a different room was just literally like the 
reflection times of the room that I was hearing. Like, I can't, like, be like, that's, like, five millisecond reflection. But, like, it's just, like, it sounds different. The room, uh, the reverb, right? Like, it's, you can tell when you're just mostly getting a direct source. What's wrong with this? Do you think governments have been lobbied more effectively? Or if you're getting some room reflections bled into the direct source as well. Because it cruises, hovering, long-snouted crocodilian. All living things with ears are really good at that. They're, they listen for reflection times to know what type of space they're in. The digitized tape, labeled U22, is split into multiple files labeled from T01 to T08. The recordings cut suddenly from one performance to the next, often starting and stopping in the middle of the performance. During our conversation, James and I started to piece these together chronologically thanks to recordings done by CBC's Brave New Waves team, also held in Concordia's Ultimatum Collection, which recorded the whole evening from start to finish with no cuts. This helped us figure out that the poet using the heartbeat sound was Tom Kenyvesh, an experimental performance and video poet who had recently moved from Montreal to Vancouver. Okay, so you like you would your guess would be that like what we have with um, the U two two recordings that sound really close up is that he's recording these sort of off site and then bringing them in to play them. Yeah. In that case, like, does it? makes sense that there are parts of um, the same event from that day before this. So it's like Christopher Dudney alive, and then it cuts, and then it's Tom Kenyvesh sounding very not live, and then on T06, it's just heartbeat sounds, which are playing in the background um, of T07, which is back to Tom Kenyvesh speaking, but now we hear like the audience, it sounds very live, and then it cuts and it's Bill Bissett. Same event. Yeah. Well, that, that did confuse me, but then Jason mentioned in an email that they actually had like eight tracks on that tape. So that made me think that they possibly used like two of the tracks just to record... Um, like stuff for playback. Mm. And then they just used the other two tracks to record what was going on live in the room. Yeah. You know? So, and then essentially what you could do is you could take the two tracks that are like already recorded, so you want to go to the PA with them, mm-hmm. and you could play them via like their own output to the PA while you record on another two tracks what they're saying. So it could have been a simultaneous thing and they could have just prepped the two uh, recorded tracks like beforehand. What I find really interesting about the mystery of the sound is that it's it's a reminder of the missing information on these tapes, that these tapes are representative of performances that involved 
some visual aspect and that that aspect is missing entirely. And so even when the sound changes or disappears, one could imagine someone in a outrageous outfit playing a percussion instrument in the corner and producing that sound. And we'd never know of, of that person's existence unless we found photographic or video evidence. But it would significantly change the, the tenor of the performance were we to be able to see this producer of the sound if the sound is in fact being produced by someone on stage accompanying a performer, let's say. Um, and so it's just interesting to think about the fact that Ultimatum was this full sense live event, uh, one that even seemed to prioritize the visual in terms of screens being available for performers and all that. But here we're experiencing it only as audio, which is a kind of mutation of the event into something that is only available to us using one sense. So the sound is an invitation to theorize, and that invitation can either be fruitful or you know, can lead the listener astray down paths to which answers might not be found. Yeah, I love when we think about our project in that way, like that distance that we have in a way like retains the privacy of the event, but also invites us in and gives us that intimacy um, and a really different sensory experience or in a limited one. Um, And when I think about the heartbeat in that way and whether it's intentional or not, it does force the listener to really turn or return interior, like accept the sound for what it is. Um, and for a moment, it was really nice that we just got to sit and really think about what it could be without having any, de- any defini- definitive answers um, and think about how it was complementing the poem and how it was complementing our experience, you know, so many years down the line of, of taking that in um, with the limited resources that we have. And it's always interesting to have, you know, the real technical terms for what's going on. But sitting in that mystery um, I find it brought us closer and really gave us an opportunity to distinguish the voices and distinguish the settings in a way that, and in a depth that we didn't always apply to all the other recordings. And this gave us a way into that. Mm-hmm. And sitting with the mystery, but also just sitting with um, the sound, however fragmentary it is that we have left to us is sort of itself an art piece so that whether the heartbeat is intentional or not, it creates this really great experience. Like, it is wonderful to hear with the poem, regardless of where it comes from. And I love the way that it's formatted and structured as an art piece, like as a poem, where these powerful, impactful lines are read and then they're interspersed with these like bum bums. And the effect of that and how we're sitting with that like sort of message while trying to figure out that mystery the whole time forgive everything walk don't run post no bills leave no fingerprints in case of emergency stand still Push. 
You've been listening to Shortcuts. This episode of Shortcuts was produced by Ella Jando Saul. You also heard the voices of Matthew Aubin, Sophia Malioka, Misha Solman, and input from Rowan Nancaro. Also, a special thanks to James Healy. Shortcuts is a deep dive into archival audio distributed monthly on the Spoken Web podcast feed. It is mixed and mastered by Miranda Eastwood, transcribed by Zoe Mix, and written and produced by me, Catherine McLeod. Thanks for listening. <laughs>